Welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today I have one of my good friends. It seems like everybody I interview in politics is a good friend, and that's probably true. But this dude right here is somebody who I've invited over to the crib to raise money for, who um, decided that he was going to take his business experience and his ministerial experience and service. Mayor of the great city of Little Rock, Arkansas, Mayor Frank Scott. What's happening, my brother? No much, brother. I do appreciate you and this opportunity and all the great things that you do across our nation and being a leading voice, uh, not only for black men, but just for politicals and policy leaders across the nation. Man, thank you. I do want everybody to know you'll, you'll only see a little bit of Frank, but Frank is also one of the best dressed mayors we got in the entire country. I don't know where he gets that swag from, but he definitely <laughs> is. So, Frank, look, man, we start each one of our episodes pretty much the same way where we have our guests walk us through the arc of their career. So your career is really interesting. You're a minister, a banker, you've been a staffer politically, and now you're a mayor. Talk about your career path and how you decided all of a sudden to run for mayor in 2018. Well, I, uh, one, I think, like you said, I've had a diverse uh, career um, from leaving the University of Memphis to uh, working for then Attorney General Mike Beebe as he was running for governor. Uh, ultimately, he won. I became a policy aide for him, ultimately becoming his director of intergovernmental affairs. And while there, I decided that I wanted to get some business experience. And so I got my MBA. And ultimately, after he got reelected, I decided to take my you know, key learnings to go to the private sector and become a banker. Uh, and there, I really kind of found my own niche of kind of cultivating both policy matters, but also business matters all together to really help drive economic development. Uh, to an array of different type of business owners, uh, but particularly for unserved and underserved areas, really made a niche there and really uh, driving capital in those particular communities. Uh, but while doing that, I continued to uh, be involved in politics, ultimately became a highway commissioner uh, appointed by Governor Beebe. And really, just to be totally honest, uh, being homegrown in Southwest Little Rock, and seeing a lot of the changes that needed to happen in our city, and really trying first to be a servant uh, I got fed up with a lot of the powers that be, uh, and one, of, and particularly from a standpoint, I began to realize that I was just being invited to the table to check that box. And then after that uh, decision, I decided to uh, run for mayor. I'll never forget one of the first people I started talking to about running for mayor was you. Uh, and then you put me in touch uh, with a, a friend and a fraternity brother by the name of Jerry Lowell, who I hadn't seen since college days uh, at, in my alpha days. And so we got reconnected and with his firm and. And the rest is history. Man, everybody was asking why the hell you want to be mayor of a city. But look, <laughs> let me ask you, let me ask you like a real nuanced question here. You are you don't really fall into any labels. Um, you know, people want to cast you as being a progressive because your policies are forward looking. But you're also a minister. We know how and you're a minister in the black church in the South. So we know <laughs> how we know how a quote unquote conservative that is. And you also are a banker. So you come, you look at your, you look at your task truly from uh, not these political lenses, but what's best for the people. Talk about those nuances you bring to the politics and the people you serve. Yeah, I think the main thing, what I try to lead by, uh, if you're on the right side of right, nothing else matters. And so uh, I've been blessed to bring my perspective to each genre era that I've been in, understanding uh, at the time when I was a banker, it was one of only 10 
black lenders uh, in the state of Arkansas. And I was one of those individuals. And I understood the access to capital issues that we as a black people had and what we needed to do to infuse different types of equity driven policies to bring more access to capital from the banking perspective. Being a minister, clearly understanding uh, the issues and the plight of different people and all that we uh, deal with from a faith perspective and spiritual perspective, but how uh, social policies can help. Uh, and understanding that we got to have faith in the public uh, square as well, but also understand that nuances that faith in the public square doesn't necessarily mean I have to throw a Bible at everyone. Uh, and so, but understanding what faith means from a human and love perspective. Uh, and so when I say, I, I think one of those things I get a chance to do is not necessarily be all things to everyone, but also have a perspective that everyone understands and be able to uh, navigate those varying degree of waters as, as mayor. And so I think it's really been proved uh, pretty beneficial uh, because I can walk into a lot of different rooms uh, being mm -hmm. a uh, black Baptist preacher. Uh, and so a lot of conservatives uh, aren't necessarily afraid of me. Uh, but then on the same vein, uh, there's some conservatives that have called me the AOC of the state of Arkansas uh, based on the policies that we stand up for, which is completely far-fetched if, if you know me uh, from that standpoint. <laughs> I see you laughing. So. <laughs> that, you ain't the AOC of no state uh, from, from the Frank. I know. You know, I always tell folk, and this is why I couldn't do it, man. Look, me and Jared talk about this all the time, man. But being mayor takes a special type of. I'll tell you a funny story, Frank. I was getting this phone call all the time from this woman who would call me when I was in the state house, and she would say, "Can you come get this? Uh, we had like a raccoon or something in the oh in, wow. um, in the attic." And I was like, "You know, ma'am, Bamberg County um, doesn't have uh, animal control. We just don't have the money for it." And she kept calling about that in her attic. And finally, I was like, Mama, <laughs> look, you're going to have to stop calling me and ask Daddy to get the raccoon out. So you deal with all of these various issues, these local issues. But now, not on, not just the, the snow or the, the, um, the picking up the trash on time, but now you actually are dealing with COVID, uh, yeah. the new Delta form. You're dealing with crime and leading a city during the Trump years, which I know made it harder. Talk about what makes being mayor such a uniquely difficult job? Well, I think uh, mayor is probably the hardest and most challenging uh, elected official position that anyone can seek. Uh, and I'll take an example. And you were there at the very beginning stages of our campaign, and you've been walking along a journey with me and others in the administration. I mean, literally, uh, it's been three years now. We've experienced a historic snowstorm, historic uh, flood, a global pandemic. Uh, community violence is on the rise. Uh, George Floyd, the summer of George Floyd, we've had our own officer-involved shooting. Uh, those are all the things I experienced. I really didn't have a honeymoon, uh, but that's the job of being mayor is, is understanding and being, because we're closest to the people. And so at the end of the day, you were talking about a raccoon. Literally, I got a text message from a constituent the other day saying, hey, who do I call? We, I, my, my backyard is being infested with some raccoons, so we had to send animal control. You know, <laughs> we're not getting major calls about public policy. And clearly we want to focus on climate change, but I can count on my hand the number of times when constituents called me about climate change. They really want to know how we can be a better servant to them, how we can focus more on customer service. And so I think one of the things people have to understand, you truly have to have a servant's heart uh, to mm -hmm. be in this role. It's not about being on TV, not about having all the retweets and the likes uh, as it relates to social media, it's about really doing the work and understanding the people that you serve because you can quickly lose your job if you're not paying attention to constituent relations and understanding that at the end of the day, people want to ensure that things are getting done for them. 
Now, talk about leading a blue or, or purple city like Little Rock in a red state, particularly as we saw the COVID politics play out. Talk our listeners through how you governed through the pandemic, things like mandates or what you were doing and how you were able to kind of thread that needle. Yeah, um, you'll, you'll recall one, Little Rock, just a kind of bit, bit of context, there are two uh, blue spots uh, in Arkansas. That is Little Rock and Fayetteville. Uh, Little Rock clearly is the state capital city with the largest, most populous, most diverse city in the state. Uh, and so we tend to carry a lot of news coverage uh, across the entire state. And so at the midst of ensuring uh, that we want to uphold our oath of public safety and health for the welfare of our residents, we had to lead the way. So we were the first to lead the way in our entire state, whether it was mass mandates, shutting down uh, restaurants, uh, moving to online services and things of that nature. And so literally uh, what you would see on TV was uh, generally was President Trump, Governor Hutchinson, and then me. And at the end of the day, what was really happening was we were leading the way in a lot of the rules and regs to protect our residents in early days of COVID. And many times it pit the governor and myself against each other, although mm -hmm. we did have a working relationship. But many times people thought we were crazy. And then later, you know, we'll do something one week and then two or three days later, everyone else will follow. And so we had to lead by doing what was right first, even though it was criticized. And then ultimately, everyone understood the re reason, the rationale for our safety precautions. And so clearly, yes, uh, the governor and I ha have a good relationship. We would communicate quite often. He's clearly a Republican. I'm clearly a Democrat. Um, but at the end of the day, we both were concerned about our residents' future. And sometimes we would have disagreement. And so I would have to go at it on my, uh, on my own uh, and I'd have to deal with that, whether it was with the mask mandates and dealing with lawsuits and, and things of that nature. Your governor was just he was somebody who was walking a different beat from other national Republicans. I mean, part of that had to do with the fact that it's his last term. Do you expect to have that same type of relationship going forward with whomever the new governor may be in a in a deep red state? Well, you know, I think the interesting thing about Arkansas governors, uh, Arkansas just tends to be a different kind of state, even for the, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. Uh, we clearly had a good governor that was an adult in the room on many different things. That doesn't mean we always agree, but he and I did have a good working relationship in the time that we would have to disagree. We were both civil about it. As it relates to the forthcoming governor, we definitely have uh, two very qualified candidates, Chris Jones from the Democratic standpoint, uh, and then Sarah Huckabee Sanders is also running uh, from the Republican standpoint. Uh, depending on who wins, I, I expect uh, to have a working relationship. We are the state capital city. I think that's something that the people expect, no matter the Democrat or Republican, that the governor works well uh, with the mayor of Little Rock. I mean, that's going to be a I mean, I hope so. I hope you don't you know, you got to navigate because sometimes people just want you to be a punching bag, to say the least. Um, you know, you also led through the summer of 2020 where protests around policing and police reform took center stage. You were a mayor that was talking about police reform before it was popular when you ran four years ago. So what's the playbook, in your opinion, for public safety that includes both civilian oversight, but actual policing reform. And how does that look for a mayor in 2022? I think we have to understand that at the end of the day, you know, a resident wants to call 911 when he or she needs uh, 911 and that they respond. Uh, but in that same response, we got to have reform to ensure that we have quality 21st century community policing. And you're right on the campaign trail, we were focused on public safety reform before it became, you know, a fad, before it became famous. Uh, mainly because Little Rock was dealing with a number of different no-knock warrant issues. And so when we first, one of the first things that we came into office is we created a no-knock warrant policy that significantly reduced the number and the need for no-knock warrants. Secondly, we created a civilian review police board 
uh, one of the first in our, well, we were the first in our state uh, to leave from that standpoint, then added a duty to intervene policy, as well as banning of the chokeholds. Mm. Uh, and also, it's kind of crazy to say, but Little Rock did not have body-worn cameras before our administration. Uh, and so we brought forth all those policies because we understood that we had to build trust and accountability uh, with the community first, uh, as well as focus on how we respond and protect and serve them. So how do you have these conversations about police reform? Because right now we're also seeing this uptick in violent crime. I mean, it's not just happening in one part or another. It's happening all across the country. How do you navigate that terrain? And what lessons do you think there are for other Democrats around the country who are having a hard time talking about police reform and combating the uptick in what's called a COVID spike in violence? Yeah, I I would definitely say I got in the office my first year in 2019. We had 43 homicides. 2020 during COVID was 55 and today we're at 59. So uh, we've seen uh, uh, violent crime increase about 22 percent at the peak in October. It's now down to 11 percent, mainly because we've been focused sorely on how do we continue to combat the crime, but also understand it's more than just our police department. We got to have a community and comprehensive approach. And so that's the reason why we're focused on community violence intervention specialists that we've been able to fund through the American Rescue Plan Act. But I think the main thing is, is we have to get away from rhetoric. I know everyone got, kind of jumped on the bandwagon of defund the police, but I can tell you, Miss Gloria, uh, she does not want us to defund the police. She wants to make sure that the police are there, but she also wants to make sure that the police don't over police and the police don't racially profile and the police understand uh, implicit bias and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to really, again, focus on reform and response and then also include the community. I think that's the main thing, because when you've got kids now, 14 year olds that have AR-15s uh, and they literally are utilizing these AR-15s, one, the issue is gun violence and, and access to guns. Uh, but we have to understand the social and emotional learning of uh, the issues that are happening just off of beef from uh, Instagram and other TikTok and issues like that. Man, you don't know what none of that stuff is, man. You still learn. I, I want to see you. I want to see your TikTok account. Let me ask you a couple of questions about what's going on in 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 uh, Washington D.C. You see, there is a disconnect between the level of popularity of the president's agenda items because people actually support them and the popularity of the president himself. I mean, it's it's they're going in different directions. So, talk about the infrastructure bit. What does that mean for a place like Little Rock? Well, for Arkansas, we're going to get close to $4 billion. Uh, We were uh, blessed to be invited by uh, President Biden, Vice President Harris to join a host of other mayors and governors for the infrastructure bill side. It really is the closest thing to the New Deal that we've seen in our lifetime. Uh, And so Arkansas being a small state of 3 million, uh, Little Rock being the largest city of 202,000, we're going to get a significant portion of that $4 billion to help with our public transit, our inland port. Uh, our streets, our roads, our drainage, and then most importantly, something that everyone's not talking a lot about is broadband. And particularly, it's, it's largely been sold as a rural issue, but it's also, it also helps in an accessibility issue for urban areas like Little Rock. Mm. Talk about Build Back Better. What tangible impact does that have on, on Little Rock? From a Build Back Better standpoint, uh, one of the things I'm most excited about is what they're going to be doing for early childhood education. I think one of the things that we got to understand uh, you know, many times we as elected officials, we want to f- uh, focus on the quick hits and, you know, uh, to get the, those initial wins. But we really got to start thinking about what happens long term that is transform- transformative. And so from early ha- childhood education standpoint, that's really going to help not only education, but economic development, but also drive down crime. The number of, uh, of our kids that we can get to grade level reading at an early age. You know, 
One of the things I wanted to ask you is you talk about these initiatives from a federal level. Talk about what difference, you know, a few years makes and the difference in a president makes and how you govern and the resources that are there. We'll talk about your relationship with Donald Trump, because as mayor, you have to have a relationship with whoever the president is, especially yeah. of the capital city versus your relationship with with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Well, it's, it's going to seem uh, pretty interesting. Um, one, uh, you got to also understand clearly uh, I'm a Democrat. Our uh, congressional delegation is Republican. Uh, I have great relationships with them. And in Arkansas, you, you can't afford uh, not to have good relationships with your elected officials because things are the city's just that uh, the state's just that small. Uh, and so you have to have that good relationship. So we were able to get a lot done. Uh, in the Trump administration through our congressional delegation uh, from a U.S. Department of Justice standpoint. We firmly believe we're going to get a lot more done on President Biden, Vice President Harris, just because of those relationships as well. And it's one of those situations where we probably have stronger relationships with the administration than our congressional delegation. Uh, and so with uh, that understanding, uh, one of the things I would share with everyone is to always keep good relationships irrespective of the party because you never know who you're going to need and when you're going to need them. At the end of the day, if they truly are, a true elected official, they're going to want to help out uh, the constituents because at the end of the day, those constituents are those vote their potential voters as well. You ain't never lie. I mean, I learned that lesson in South Carolina. Relationships are the most important currency you have in politics. Well, I mean, what's going to have to happen for Democrats to win statewide? Y'all will be on the ballot at the same time. I mean, it's going to be a tough sled uh, for Democrats. I mean, I know you got to win in Pulaski County and you got to win in Fedville and you got to lessen the damage in Bentonville. See, I know some cities down there. You, you know some. You saw, you've been to Arkansas a few times. we got to get you back more. Uh, I would say, you know, uh, one of the things that the Democrats have focused on uh, in Arkansas is the long-term play uh, and, and really building a farm team and a bench uh, for the future. Um, I don't see, uh, you know, I'd be less than honest to say that the Democrats <laughs> are going <laughs> to take over uh, <laughs> our congressional delegation or statewide offices. I do think what you're starting to see uh, particularly from a, a not only a democratic standpoint, just more, uh, I would say, our generation. Our generation is more focused on local politics. And I think local politics is a great uh, training ground for future and higher elected office. So people are paying more attention to the school board elections, to our quorum courts, uh, really being involved on uh, a, a lot of legislative uh, initiatives as we move forward. So uh, I, I it could be another, you know, five to 10 years before you see some significant changes. But I do, do want to say, I think most importantly, what you're starting to see is Democrats focus more on not only just the local elections, but they're also focusing more on how do we not only register people to vote, but educate people on the reason why to vote and when to vote. And I think that that will help change uh, different things down the road. And give people a reason to vote for them. Last question. How can people support you, Rock, with you? What do you need? What can they do? I know you making decisions about reelection right now. What can people do to get you uh, the support you need? Because we got a lot of listeners around the country, around the world who just tune yeah. into this show to listen to politics. They don't know who Frank Scott is, but they like what you have to say and they want to support you. Well, first and foremost, please check us out on all our social media channels at uh, Frank Scott Jr., whether it's on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, we're there. Uh, please uh, log in with us and share your emails at, at frankscottjr.com on our website. Uh, but at the end of the day, we want to engage with you, learn more about you as we move forward with our own journey uh, together. So particularly those that are out of state, uh, we always need as elected officials when we're determining we're going to campaign outside resources, because many times 
uh, you get in some, um, you know, some issues that it's kind of hard to go to the well inside the state, but it's always more comfortable if you got some outside resources to kind of take you afloat. So uh, grateful to have this opportunity to be with you, Bakari, and your listeners. Uh, it's always, uh, you know, fun just to see what you're doing and watch what you're doing. Again, continue to be a leading voice in our nation. Man, thank you, Mayor Frank Scott. Thank you for joining the Bakari Sales Podcast, man. I'll catch up with you soon. All right, bro. Appreciate you. All right. Be easy.